Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, I want to thank all of you for the uh, happy 73rd birthday wishes. Um, a great 73rd birthday. If, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's because you didn't hear the sermon last week, and that's on you. But um, I even got a card with a gift card wishing me a happy 73rd birthday. Somebody took it a little too far, which somebody always does, but I still, I still appreciated it. Uh, we are in this series called A Generous Marriage. I mentioned in week one that sometimes when I preach on marriage, I feel a weight attached to that message because it seems to me that what we can do at times is kind of open up a wound for people here and then they walk out bleeding, but we're not really sure how to help them with those next steps. And this series has been different for me because I know how many resources have been made available for couples who are struggling, who cu- for couples who need to take those next steps. As a church, we set aside funds to pay for 80% of the cost of Christian counseling for couples up to six months. Um, I know that many of you have raised your hand and said, yep, we're gonna do it. Maybe because you're really struggling, going through something difficult, or maybe because you just recognize there's some things you wanna grow in. It's really, really healthy, and I am so grateful for those of you who have been willing to humble yourselves and take that step. We've had more than 450 couples sign up and say, we wanna grow in that. If you're one of those couples, let me challenge you to take the next step. Don't just sign up, but make the appointment. Don't just make an appointment, but go to at least two or three. Uh, it, it will make a difference. If you're one of the couples who've been thinking about it, but you haven't done it yet, this is the weekend to do it. It's the last weekend of the series. If you text the word marriage to 733-733, you'll get a link. You can sign up for that. If you're married and, and like one of you says, I think we need to do it, and the other one thinks, well, I don't think we do. Let me be the tiebreaker. You do. You need to do it. Just go ahead and take that Take that next step. I just want to encourage you to do it. You will not regret. You will not regret that. Um, we've also made it available for those of you who want to contribute to the fund to help support those couples to do so. So if you want to give a gift towards that, you can, again, text the word marriage to 733-733. There's a way for you to give a gift that would go towards that initiative. Also on there, on that page, um, is an opportunity for you to sign up to be a marriage mentor. Um, for some of our couples who want to um, apply to do that and be trained in that, we would love to talk to you more. But that page has different resources, uh, so make sure, text the word marriage to 733-733, and you'll get a link that'll help connect you to some, some other resources. I know, listen, I know that in a church like ours, that there's some of you who are here, and this is like the last resort. It's four weeks, we're on week four, and you're like, you know what? Still, I, I don't think I wanna do this anymore. Divorce just seems like the best option for you. I, I read a study that refuted what's sometimes called the divorce assumption. The divorce assumption goes like this, that if you're in a miserable marriage, you only have two options, get divorced and be happy or stay married and be miserable. That's the divorce assumption. What is consistently refuted is that divorce is not a pathway to happiness. That it's more likely to bring about anxiety and stress and depression. And so I just wanna encourage you to not give up. You might be closer than a breakthrough to a breakthrough than you 
you've ever thought possible. One of the challenges for me as a pastor is to sometimes watch couples struggle and then they quit and then they recognize a year, two years later that if they just would have stuck with it a little bit longer, if they just would have had a few hard conversations, if they just would have reached out to get some help, they would have had so much more peace moving forward with whatever the future held. Like you just wanna make sure that you give it everything you've got. What we've said in this series, I hope what you've caught in this series is that we care so much for you. We love you. We care about marriages in this church. I hope that you hear us say, it's not just something we talk about, but we, we want to be here to support you and walk with you. And, and you don't need to feel judged. Like we're all broken. This is a safe place to work through this stuff. We really want that to be true. We're growing in it, but... I hope that you know that that's, that that's right. Because our marriages, as we've said, are meant to be a reflection, an image, a picture of God's love for us. That the way we love one another as husband and wife is meant to show the world this is God's love for the church. That metaphor is used in the Old Testament. It's used in the New Testament. So Paul says in Ephesians, I'm not just talking about a husband and wife. I'm talking about Jesus and the church. Like there's a mystery to all of this. We care about marriages because we care about you, but we care about marriages because we care about the glory of God. And, and we believe that the glory of God can be demonstrated in our marriages. We believe that God can show off what he can do in our marriages, where he takes something that seems broken and impossible, and he turns it into something that's beautiful. He, he takes something that maybe you've given up on and the people around you've given up on, and he said, well, wait, I'm not, I've not given up on this yet. And when our marriages demonstrate God's love to us, by the way we love one another, he's, he's glorified, and that's, that's what we long for. So, generous marriage, we're wrapping up this series. We've said that God's love for us is marked by generosity. Like, this is how we know his love. God so loved the world that he gave. And so we wanna be generous towards one another. And specifically this weekend, it's being generous with grace. Like, we want to be the people who are the least offended least resentful, least bitter, quickest to forgive people on the planet. Like this should be true because of God's grace towards us. C.S. Lewis was at a um, conference on comparative religions and he walked into a room that was full of theologians and the theologians were debating like what is distinct about Christianity? If anything, is there anything that makes Christianity different from every other world religion? And when C.S. Lewis walked in the room, they asked him about this. Is there anything about Christianity that's different? And C.S. Lewis said, that's easy. It's one word, grace. It's grace that is different. It's grace that's different about Christianity and it's grace that should be different about Christians. It should be the most distinctive thing in our relationships with one another. It should separate us from anyone else with any other belief system is the grace that we have because the grace that we've been shown, that God, because of Jesus, looks at us and he doesn't see our sins and failures. The Bible says that because of Jesus, our sin is removed from us as far as the east is from the west. It's buried in the deepest part of the sea. And so we come here to worship with hearts full of gratitude because of the grace we've been shown. Like we're not here to earn it. You didn't come to church this morning because you are trying to get good favor with God and you're afraid if you don't and he's not gonna sign off 
one day on your entrance into heaven. The entrance fee has been paid with the blood of Jesus. It's free. So when we come together, we come together to celebrate, not to earn. We come together to give praise to God for what he's given to us. And then... And then we reflect that generosity, we reflect that grace in how we love one another. And that's especially true in in marriage. So Matthew 18, we're gonna look at how this connects. We're gonna apply this specifically to marriage, although we could certainly apply it to other relationships. Matthew 18, Peter comes to Jesus. He's got a question. I think it's loaded. He says to Jesus, Jesus, how many times? Just hypothetically speaking, how many times should I forgive the person who's hurt me? Maybe, I don't know, seven times? And I don't know this for sure, but I think Peter's got a name in mind, right? Like, I think there's a story attached to this question. Like, I don't wanna mention any names, but how many times should we forgive? How many times should we forgive that person? Seven times? And Peter thinks he's being really generous because the Jews taught that you should forgive a person for the same offense up to three times. Peter's like, seven? And, and maybe he's hoping Jesus is gonna say, Peter, you're so generous. Like, you're so gracious that you would, seven times, Peter. You're so much like me. But that's not what Jesus does. What, what, what Jesus says is actually 70 times seven. 70 times seven. Your version may translate that as 77 times, but the the point that Jesus is making, here it is, grace never stops giving. Seven times, actually 70 times seven. And then Jesus tells this parable um, to help us understand how it's possible, because I think we want that. Like We want to live free of bitterness and resentment and anger. We don't wanna hold on to the hurts. We we don't wanna remember that, that kind of pain. We wanna be free from that. But how do you give that kind of grace? It's, it's taught to us, Matthew 18, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. High-powered, wealthy CEO type decides today's the day. I'm gonna look at the books, time to collect. Verse 24, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And when Jesus said 10,000 bags of gold, you could hear this little um, yeah, laughter in the crowd because it is an astronomical amount of money. This is like $200 million. There was a man and he was owed $200 million. This was more to give you context than the tax income for for all five provinces of Palestine at the time. So Jesus is making a point that this man owes a debt that he could never possibly repay. To think that he could repay it is comical. Verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay the debt, to at least get some of it back, to at least make a dent in it. There was no way this man could make up the difference. It's a huge debt. And the amount of money here is meant to reflect our standing with God, that all of us, whether you know it or not, whether you want to admit it or not, we have a, we have a, outstanding balance with God because of sin outside of Jesus. Like without Jesus, we had this bill that we could never pay. And for you to think that you could is funny. Like for you to think that you could somehow do enough good to offset that bad, $200 million. Like you, you, you can't do it. Now look, I, I know what we try to do with this balance is we try to compare what we owe to what it seems like someone else owes. Well, I might owe $200 million, but they owe $400 million, as if 
that makes our balance somehow more reasonable or likely to uh, be paid off. So maybe your approach with this debt towards God is to just kind of, I don't know if you've ever been in a position where you, you, you know you don't have the funds for the bill, so why even open it, right? So you just pretend like you didn't get it, you leave it in the car unopened, don't check your mailbox because you know you can't pay it. That's why a lot of people avoid church and stay away from places like this. Let's just leave the bill unopened. It's better to not think about it. But the reality is that we all have this outstanding balance that we could never repay on our own. Verse 26, at this, the servant fell on his knees before his master and said, be patient with me, I'll pay back everything. Well, no, we won't. There's just no chance of that happening. He can't afford the interest. Verse 27, the master took pity on him, had compassion, and he canceled the debt and he let him go. What? My $200 million. And it doesn't say that he extended the note. It doesn't say that he lowered the monthly payment, cancels it, erases it, as if it never happened. Just incredible act of grace. Verse 28, but when that servant, the one who was just forgiven $200 million, found out about one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins, 20 bucks, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe me, he demanded. So this guy who's forgiven $200 million says to the guy who owes him 20 bucks, pay me what you owe me. It's like, it's like coming into church on a Sunday and worshiping and singing praise to God because he is so gracious. And then we get out in the parking lot and we are frustrated because somebody pulled out in front of us. That's what it's like. Right? It's like we come in here to worship and we take communion and we thank God for the grace that he's given us and then we get in the car and we pick up in an argument from on our way into church. Still not really talking, still being mad about, that's what it's, that's what it's like. And, and so you read this story and it just seems incredible that this guy who would receive such grace, wouldn't be generous in that way. The guy who owed him 20 bucks fell, on, on, fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. And if you don't know the story, you think, well, I know how this is gonna go. Of course he's gonna forgive the debt, please. I mean, of course, of course he's gonna erase it. How could somebody who's received grace on such a generous scale not turn around and give it Verse 30, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed, which would never happen. And so this guy, for the rest of his existence, is gonna live with this overwhelming and agonizing regret that he didn't extend grace. He wanted to receive it, but he didn't wanna extend it. Oh, we, we love to talk about grace when we're on the receiving end, but it's different when you're on the giving end. It's a little more challenging, it's a little more messy. Oftentimes, Jesus would tell a parable like this and then he would leave it kind of vague, ambiguous, leave it up to people to apply it to their own situation, kind of unpack it throughout the day. He doesn't do that here. 
Here's what we read at the end of it. This is how it will be. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister or husband or wife from your heart. This is how it'll be. And some of you think, well, wait a second, Kyle. Are you trying to tell me that if I don't forgive the person who hurt me or betrayed me or cheated me, the the person who ridiculed me, are you trying to tell me that if I don't forgive them, God won't forgive me? Listen, (laughs) I'm not saying that. Jesus, that's Jesus (laughs) saying that. And it's hard for me to know what to do with some of this, but he makes it clear. And this isn't the only place. Look at Matthew chapter 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. It's not okay to come and accept God's grace and then not show grace to others. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying you don't have to fight for it or work towards it. I'm just saying you can't decide. I'm just not gonna do it. So if you listen to a sermon like this on grace, You think, okay, I'm thankful for God's grace. Let me think about whether or not I wanna extend it. No, oh yeah, no. Like, it's it's not an option. If you receive it, you give it. I get it that it's a journey. I'm not saying it's the easy button, but it is this commitment to move towards it because of what you have received. It does not undo the reality of what you're owed. I'm not saying you don't deserve something. I'm not saying somebody isn't in debt to you. You might be owed a lot. You might be owed, I mean, you might be owed a marriage. You might be owed some vows. You might be owed an an explanation, most certainly owed some kind of an apology. I'm not saying you're not owed anything. I'm saying what you have been given, you are to give. Colossians 3.13 Forgive as the Lord forgave you. The Bible says freely we've received, freely we're to give. And so how do we do that in in marriage? How can we be generous with grace in marriage? A few weeks ago, I referenced Dr. John Gottman, a marriage relationship expert. He's observed thousands of couples. If you remember, he's divided them up into two categories, masters and disasters. And he talks about that disasters, marriage disasters, have four behaviors in common. And he refers to these as the four horsemen of the apocalypse because they're such accurate predictors of divorce. And and here are the um, the four behaviors of a miserable marriage. Um, And as, as we go through these, I just want you to think about how beneath these is a lack of grace, all right? So first one is criticism. Criticism, it, it's looking at your spouse through this lens of fault finding where you're constantly noticing and pointing out their flaws and failures. Number two is defensiveness. And when you have one, you'll usually have the other, but it's toxic. Spouse is constantly defensive. Spouse is always critical. They just kind of go back and forth. Number three is stonewalling. This is where a spouse withdraws. They've emotionally checked out. They've convinced themselves that nothing that they will do is gonna make much of a difference and any attempt is just gonna result in more criticism, more defensiveness. So let's just just be business partners. Let's just be roommates. Let's just kind of settle for this and they emotionally withdraw. Number four is contempt, and Gottman concludes that contempt is the biggest predictor of a disastrous marriage, and 
And because contempt is not a word we use a lot, I'll just unpack that a bit for you based on some of his examples of speaking to a spouse harshly, always this harsh tone. It's being easily triggered over small infractions. It's regular use of sarcasm. It, it's criticism that is personal and it's condescending. It's name calling and eye rolling and sneering. It's constantly reminding them of how they've failed and disappointed you in the past. It's contemptuous. You feel disgusted towards your spouse. You, you look back on your years together and all you seem to remember is the hurt and the offense. You can't remember the last time you gave this heartfelt, genuine apology. I mean, maybe you said you were sorry because you just wanted to be over it, but you weren't really sorry. You're not sorry because you're convinced that however you act or whatever you say towards your spouse, they deserve it. Somehow they had it coming. Your spouse doesn't feel safe to express their concerns or needs or hurts because they know doing so will invite even more contempt. And your primary emotion towards your spouse is resentment. You just resent them. You just look at them and you feel bitter, resentful. And I would just argue that with each of these, grace is what is needed. Now look, there's certainly good relationship practices. I'm not saying Dr. Phil can't help you with some of these. Like I get the fact that there are principles, communication stuff that we can work on. Gottman talks a lot about building a, a, a culture of what he calls fond, fondness and, and admiration. But how do you do any of that without grace? I mean, grace to me seems to be the foundational need for addressing all of these things. And, and Matthew 18 would say God's grace allows us then to look through a lens of grace and it changes how we see marriage and changes how we see our spouse. Do you remember um, years ago, there was an allergy commercial for, I think it was Claritin. And they would, they would split the screen. You remember this? They'd split the screen. And on one half of the screen, kind of showed you the difference it made when you took this allergy medicine. The world was colorful. Things were clear and crisp and bright and happy. But on the other side of the screen, they showed you what the world looked like when you, like when you didn't take this medicine and things were foggy and murky and dark and discouraging and dim. And so you had to decide, okay, do I wanna live this way or do I wanna live, do I wanna live this way? And in many ways, this is, this is what grace presents to you. Like you, you can live seeing your spouse through this lens where you, all you really see is despair and darkness and not a lot of hope, not a lot of color, or grace can give you a different lens through which you look at your spouse and see your marriage. I just believe that Jesus uniquely, uniquely gives us that lens. And that should affect every relationship. Like there's something wrong if you are a follower of Jesus and, and someone hurt you and, and you, you just refuse, you just refuse to have grace. You just refuse forgiveness, you just decide, I'm, I'm just gonna keep looking through this lens. And, and in doing so, the person you're really making miserable is yourself. And so, how do we do that in marriage? I'm gonna give you five commitments. And as we go through these, I want you to think through how this teaches us the gospel. Like this isn't just marriage we're talking about, it's about 
God's grace to us through Jesus. Here's the first commitment, is I will overlook the small things. (laughs) I think this is a good place to start because in marriage, there's a lot of small things, right? Like small things become big things. Jesus says, Jesus said to Peter, Peter was married, right? We, we don't know of many disciples who was married, but Peter was married. And so when, when Jesus says to Peter, 70 times seven, I don't know what the math on that, I didn't figure it up and I can't do it in my head. Anybody got a quick answer? Okay. So whatever that number is, you know where, you, you know where you'll pass that number? Mm, marriage. Like, you stay married to someone for enough years and 70 times seven, you need to add a few zeros to that. Like, marriage has a way of little things becoming big things. As, as my friend likes to say, <laughs> it's death by a thousand pinpricks. Just a little dark, but accurate. And so how do, we, how do we extend grace in the small things? Well, here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 19 11. I love this. It says, it's to one's glory to overlook an offense. It doesn't say to forgive an offense. It says to overlook an offense. And this word overlook is this idea of not notice. Like God's grace should so fill our hearts and so affect the way we see people around us. It's not that we're forgiving all these little things. It's that we don't even notice them. That, that's, that's how we see the world. We're, we're the least sensitive, least offendable people. We, we don't... We don't even notice. That's the difference God's grace should make. My wife has this mirror at home, keeps it on her bathroom sink. I don't know what, I don't know what, it's like a mirror on steroids. It's like this, uh, it's like dark magic mirror because when you look at it, it just magnifies everything, everything. I I don't get it. Like I've looked in it once or twice in the past I don't know, 20 years, right? I don't look in that thing. Why would you do that to yourself? It's not like people have that kind of vision. Why, why are you looking at yourself through that? If other people saw you that way, sure. But nobody can, no one, no one has that kind of superpower vision. So why, why do that? But anyway, I look in this mirror for the point of this illustration and immediately wish I hadn't. Because like, this screen is pretty unforgiving, right? Like the big screen, it adds 10 pounds. It, it <laughs> makes you seem shorter than you are. It, it, uh, you know. But this mirror, totally different level of insecurity. You see this like uh, blemish. No, I'm saying don't look at it. Stop, stop. <laughs> and, but you see it in the regular mirror. And you're like, okay. Feels like I should be past that point in my life, but whatever. And then you look at the, that blemish in the um, steroid mirror, and it's, it's like you've turned to the Discovery Channel and you're watching, watching volcanoes explode. Like it just magnifies, their, like wrinkles or Grand Canyon documentaries. Like it just, everything is so much bigger. And it magnifies every blemish and blotch and bump. And, and for some of you, this is, this is what it's like to live with you. Like, being around you, this is, you think this is your job, just to be the mirror that holds up everybody's insecurities and failures and mistakes, always quick to remind them, always quick to point out the little things, 
And when somebody sees you looking at them, they like wanna, they wanna hide because they know, they know what your little mirror eyes are doing. Like they know you're gonna magnify it and tell them about it. And so it's this commitment to say, because of God's grace, I'm not gonna look at the small things that way. Commitment number two is I will remember the good things. I, I was reading this study, one of the most reliable ways to see if you're generous with grace is to pay attention to how you talk about the history of your relationships. Research shows that couples who have a positive view of their past are much likely to be happily married. Doesn't mean there aren't negative things that they could look for, but couples who have look through this lens of grace and they have a positive view. One marriage therapist has a husband and wife come into his office before meeting with him together. He meets with them separately. He has each of them recount the history of their relationship. And he would say he can tell you everything he needs to know about how they talk about their history together. And so grace allows us to reframe allows us to see the beauty. Grace can wash over the past. This is how God loves you. And the Bible says this, that because of Jesus, when he sees you, he sees you without blemish or defect. He doesn't look upon you and see all your past mistakes and failures. I know that's what some of you think he sees. That's not what he sees because of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 13, five says, love keeps no record of wrongs. I know some of you are good at forgiving, but you struggle with forgetting. Like you would say to your spouse, I have forgiven and I have forgotten. I'm just reminding you of what I've forgiven <laughs> so that you won't forget what I've already forgotten. Like it doesn't, it's, and, and I think grace allows us to, to move forward, doesn't mean that the hurt all goes away. Doesn't mean that further healing doesn't need to take place. But when we understand how God sees us, then we wanna look at our spouse and we wanna look at our past through that same lens. Let me think of the good things and the beautiful things. Number three, I will think about the positive things. Gottman talks about the masters and disasters. He says that disasters uh, and masters have this thing in common, he says, with masters, there's a, the habit they have where they're continually scanning their social environment for things they can appreciate and say thank you for. They're just instinctively in their relationships. They've learned to look through this lens of grace and they just want to find things to notice, appreciate, express gratitude for because they know what they've received from God. Disasters, opposite. They are constantly scanning their social environment and looking for mistakes, constantly looking for things that need to change and need to be improved upon. Gottman says that masters have what he calls a positive sentiment override, which means that you look at something and then you decide to give your spouse like this positive intention, this benefit of the doubt. You choose the best possible explanation for what they said or what they did or the mood they're in and you go with that and you believe that. Disasters have what he calls the negative sentiment override, which means you look at what your spouse said, did, and, and you just assume the worst. You just assume the most offense possible. So a spouse isn't listening to you and negative sentiment override would say, my spouse doesn't care about me. My spouse doesn't love me. He, she cares more about this and cares about me. Positive sentiment override says my spouse is distracted, maybe dealing with some heavy things that's causing stress and pressure. It gives them an explanation and then chooses to believe that. 
Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And you just intentionally decide, I'm gonna think about that. I'm gonna think about that. Contempt comes from the negative sentiment override. Negative sentiment override will always lead to contempt. A buddy of mine told me that uh, in his marriage, his wife for years just could never seem to turn the lights off. Great at turning them on, but could never seem to turn them off. And it just got to a point where it was so frustrating to him. It felt like all he was ever doing was going around, turning off the lights, saying to her, can you please turn off the lights when you leave the room? And he knew it wasn't a big deal and he knew he needed to check his attitude on these things. And so here's what he did. He said, he just start every time he turned off the light that she left on, he would just thank God for her. Just, I don't know, maybe that started with, you know, thanks for my wife, God. <laughs> maybe it started a little, eh. but, but his attitude began to change. He started to, when he would turn off lights, he would thank God specifically for these beautiful things about his wife. And, and over time, that positive sentiment override began to change attitude. Number four, I will focus on my things. That grace allows me to be aware of my stuff. Not in a way that's guilt or shame producing, in a way that is, makes me grateful. The more I understand God's grace to me, the, the more I understand, I don't need to be looking at the speck in my neighbor's eye, my spouse's eye, because I've had a plank in mine that God's dealt with or dealing with. You'll never be asked to forgive someone more than God has forgiven you. And if you don't think that's true, then you don't know yourself and you don't know the gospel. You'll never be asked to forgive someone more than God has forgiven you. Number five, I will forgive the big things. Matthew 18, 27, the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Two verbs here, both could be translated as to forgive. One is cancel the debt. It's this idea that something has been permanently deleted, completely erased, no trace that it ever existed. This is God's grace to you. It's God's grace to you. Just, I know some of you are visiting and the church thing isn't your thing. And when we worship, you don't get it. And it just seems weird. This is it. And we've, we have been forgiven. We've been set free and it's not because we're better. It's not because we earned it or deserve it. It's just this free gift that God gave us. And when I see that, when I experience that, it makes me wanna love other people that way. Again, you know, forgiveness is, isn't a feeling. It doesn't mean you won't still hurt. It doesn't mean you won't still have questions. It doesn't mean trust will or necessarily even should be immediately restored. Sometimes that takes a while and it takes a lot of work to rebuild, even if that's the right, right thing that you decide you're not going to bitterly dwell on what your spouse did or said. And it means that you're not gonna make them pay. You canceled the debt and you let him go. He wasn't gonna demand payment later. He wasn't gonna hold him hostage. And, and this is the invitation for you to experience this and then to have it, to give. Oh, I love, I love the stories that I get to hear of someone coming to Jesus because someone in their life changed in this way. 
they became a Christian and it changed the way they started treating mom at home. It changed the way they started treating dad. It changed how they started, how they reacted in these moments, became less harsh and more tender, less critical, more encouraging. And that grace just attracts like, oh, that's what I want. And in our marriages, we have an opportunity to model that, that we're gonna love our spouse in the shadow of the cross. I'm going to love my wife through the lens of grace. That's how I'm going to see her. That's how I would pray that she would see me is through this, this lens of grace. Um, we had some friends a few years ago going through a especially hard time in their marriage and they came and they said, hey, we just want you to know we decided to call it quits. We decided to get a divorce. And, and, and we just kind of pleaded with them, hey, before you do that, would you please just you know, talk with us, pray with us, and then would you just talk to a marriage counselor that can help you process through some of these things? I know they go way back, and I know this is heavy stuff, but just, I mean, I just, but just work through some of it and just see, just see. And so they did, although they didn't really want to, and like after three sessions or so, they came back and said, well, marriage counselor agrees that our marriage just needs to die. I'm like, well, it's not what I was hoping for. I didn't think that's the way it would go. Yeah, marriage counselor said our marriage needs to die and we just need to start over, new marriage, but, but with each other. Like we, we, keep trying to, we keep trying to fix all of this. We just, we just think it needs to die and we just need new marriage, same spouse. And, and at first that seems like, oh, I don't know, what's the word, naive? Unless unless Jesus has done this for your soul, unless you've been in the baptistry and you've experienced what it's like, the old is gone, the new has come, unless you get the gospel, if you get the gospel, then what they just described, yeah, it makes sense. That Jesus could do for your marriage what he does for your soul, absolutely. And so we wanna celebrate that hope that we have, the grace that we have in Jesus. So what we're gonna do at all of our campuses together as we wrap up this series is that we're gonna take communion together. As we take communion, what we're doing is we're remembering God's grace, we're celebrating it, but we are not presuming upon it. We're not gonna sit here, celebrate God's grace during communion time and then walk out of here and be contemptuous and critical and harsh and demeaning. And we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna be those people. We're not gonna be easily offended. Instead, we, we, want to, we want to take communion, celebrate his grace, and then we, we want to give what we have received. So during this time of communion, receive it, but then also commit yourself to giving it in ways that you need to. And then what we wanna do as we worship is we're just gonna have an opportunity for prayer down front. And then you can come down for prayer for any reason. Um, we'd love to pray over marriages. Maybe you've got a really good marriage. Doesn't mean you can't be prayed for right? Like, let us pray for you. Or maybe things are really falling apart and struggling and you don't think, would you let us pray for you? Or, or maybe, maybe you're single and, and you just need some prayer that God would help you as a single person in this world, in this culture. Well, we just love to pray for you. So we're going to have some of our uh, elders and spouses and ministry leaders and spouses down front would, would love to pray for you. Um, let's take communion and then let's pray together. God, I thank you that even as we talk about marriage, we are talking about the gospel. 
that Jesus, you have loved us and you have been so gracious to us, so forgiving towards us. And God, I pray that you would forgive me of not just my sins, but specifically you would forgive me for my sin of ungrace that, that I have been at times so presumptuous where I receive your grace, but then I don't want to be gracious. Forgive me for that, God. I don't wanna be that way. I want your grace to fill me up and then just overflow out of my life onto my wife and to my kids and to my friends and coworkers. And I pray that would mark who we are. It would be what makes us distinctive as your followers. But God, I know one thing for sure is that we cannot find that kind of grace to give on our own. Like we've got to receive it from you. The only way, the only way that it works is if it flows. And so I pray grace would just flow freely in these next few minutes as we worship. It would flow from you to our hearts and it would flow out of us to the people around us. We would just be people of grace because you are a God of grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.